as this is the final episode of series six, I just wanted to drop in to say thank you so much for continuing to support the podcast and to everybody who has got in touch with me by messaging or commenting on Instagram or sending me an email. When this episode is released, we will hit the amazing milestone of having had 100,000 downloads of the podcast. So I was thinking about how to celebrate this milestone and I thought about the idea of doing a Q&A. So I'm planning to record a question and answer episode within the next couple of weeks. So if you've got a question you'd like me to answer about being a psychologist who knits or about knitting or a pattern suggestion or anything at all, please do drop me an email or a message on Instagram with your question. So on Instagram, I am knitting is therapeutic and my email address is mia at therapeuticknitting.org. So send me your questions as soon as possible and I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you again for listening to the podcast and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to the Why I Knit podcast. My name is Dr Mia Hobbs and I'm a clinical psychologist who is passionate about knitting and its benefits for our mental health. Each week on the podcast I interview a different knitter about why they knit and how it benefits their mental health. This week on the podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by Elizabeth Hammond, also known as The Nitchin on Instagram. Elizabeth describes herself as a knitter, test knitter and dabbling knitwear designer. Hi, Elizabeth. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's nice to be here. It's lovely to speak to you. Um, so I always start with asking where your story with knitting began. So where did yours start? Well, for me, it started when I was probably eight years old. I was in third grade, so um, that's how I remember it. Um, I had a ball of purple yarn, like the red heart acrylic yarn <laughs> that every kid starts with. And um, someone from my church had taught me how to crochet years beforehand when I was a little kid, like probably like five. And I just kept that ball of yarn. And one day my grandparents were visiting and one thing led to another and my grandmother was teaching me how to knit, but we didn't have any knitting needles. So we used two dull pencils and that ball of purple yarn. And that's kind of where the story began was just oh, wow. sitting on the couch <laughs> with my grandmother and the pencils. And were you able to do it well with pencils? You know, I remember it being something that I struggled with as far as like the mechanics of holding the pencils and things like that. But honestly, I don't know that it was any different than it would have been with real knitting needles, because I think you're going to struggle the first time you try yeah. to knit, no matter what you're using. But seven is seven is probably the the very lowest end of the age range, I would say, isn't it? To have the kind of fine motor control to be able to kind of not yeah, get like super my frustrated was just ripping through it <laughs> with the pencils <laughs> oh yes and when did you next knit after that did you carry on and get yourself some needles um so I didn't get needles immediately after that I don't think um it might have been a little bit later I'm kind of fuzzy on like when my mom actually took me to the craft store and got me knitting needles but when I was a little bit older maybe like 12 or 13, my great aunt, so other side of the family, mm -hmm. um, came to visit. And 
she knew how to knit. And I was like, hey, like Auntie Carol, can you teach me how to knit again? Because I don't remember. And Mm -hmm. so she showed me. And it was interesting because my grandmother had taught me how to knit English style where you're throwing the yarn. Yeah. But my great aunt was raised in a German family where you knit German style. Yeah. Um, So the continental knitting. And that was like, whoa, what's happening here? I... I was kind of taken aback by like, oh, there's more than one way you can knit. Mm -hmm. But Continental just kind of was easier for me to pick up when she taught me that. So I think that's when I probably got real knitting needles for myself and started knitting because I don't remember using pencils with my aunt. No. (laughs) I think (laughs) we had real knitting needles by that point. (laughs) Yeah. And I think um, it's funny, actually, because I knit continental because my mum is Danish and sometimes English people see me knitting on the tube or something like that. And they say, oh, what are you doing? Like, is that crochet? Because it doesn't look like knitting to them. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't realize that, that English knitting was so common among the English. Like, I mean, that makes sense, you'd think. But I didn't realize that people didn't think of continental knitting commonly where you live. Yeah, I think a more, like, probably it's a younger, older divide. I think older people are more likely to knit uh, English style. Probably that is the tradition here. And they might, you know, like, they might also use straight needles. Whereas most younger people you see would have, for example, just because of the internet, heard of continental knitting. Because I guess otherwise knitting was just passed down in families, like how most of us learned. But I guess I mean that's how I learned with the yeah. two pencils those were my straight needles yeah exactly <laughs> so kind of in the round was revolutionary yeah and um but I guess like certainly I went into a yarn shop not that long ago and they were advocating everybody start on circular needles um and I think we're doing continental knitting because it seems easier and now I wouldn't oh, yeah. I do teach people on straight needles but I don't think I would use them myself really I think it's the weight. Yeah, that's kind of a good point. When I teach people, I use straight needles, but I never use them myself in my own knitting. I think maybe when you're just developing holding it, it feels more stable, I think, because often yeah. the people I'm teaching are children or younger people, whereas maybe with an adult, I could you could start on a circular needle, I think, perhaps. But I think, um, yeah, I do often teach on straight needles. Oh, that's an interesting thought. Did you keep knitting then from the age of 12 or 13? Or have there been um, I dabbled here and mm-hmm. there. So I remember my mom got me the little pamphlet that you can get at the craft store that shows you the basic way to hold your needles and how to make a knit stitch and a purl stitch. Um, I only did knit stitches for years. Mm-hmm. So just your standard like really unevenly tensioned garter stitch strips until I ran out of yarn and then I would unravel that ball of purple yarn and redo it um so I didn't really get into knitting anything constructive it was more just like a way to keep my hands busy Mm -hmm. and then it kind of just got put away we moved to Massachusetts Oh, how old was I? I was between ninth and 10th grades, like in the middle of high school for me. Mm -hmm. And I remember at that time, I wasn't really knitting anymore. Like I kind of would do some things with my friends every once in a while, but 
it wasn't until I got up to Massachusetts and I was like, well, I need something to do with my hands and I need something crafty to do mm-hmm. that I really got back into it. And I just made this giant, what I called a crazy blanket of all of the yarn that was in my possession. And I started trying different ways of knitting stitches that was based off of this little calendar book I got for Christmas one year where like every day is a different type of stitch. Oh, that's a good idea. Moss stitch or sand stitch or garter Mm -hmm. or whatnot. And so this whole blanket was just random, hideous combinations of different (laughs) yarns and stitches. And we called it the crazy blanket. So that's what I did in high school is I made that blanket. Mm -hmm. Do you still have it? No, sadly, I think in one of our moves, it ended up getting donated somewhere. But yeah, maybe it's living another life out there somewhere. Yeah, like who knows? Maybe somebody's wrapped (laughs) up in it right now just enjoying how crazy it is. (laughs) Appreciating all the different stitches and colors. Yeah, yeah. And it sounds like you felt even at that time, even when you were in high school, that it was a need for the process more than the outcome. It wasn't because you wanted a sweater or a crazy blanket necessarily. It was more for the, you wanted something to do with your hands. Yes. Previously, like, I think I've become more of a product knitter now. Like I'm definitely still process. That's my passion is just having something to do with my hands. But I really struggled with, depression and my mental health like really most of my life I grew up moving around a lot and that was really hard and I lost my grandfather when I was pretty young and we were really close so just going through those experiences like I got to a place where I really struggled with my mental health and one of the things that kind of helped was if I could be busy with something and focused then I was processing all of my mental energy into that instead of just thinking about the way I felt and I guess that sounds kind of like um avoidance behavior but like I think it was a healthy way for me to be able to just kind of process through what I was going through but channeling all of that into something that I could make Hmm. and do something I don't know, like less destructive than what other kids get themselves into when they go through some of the stuff I was going through. Yeah, because I guess it is literally constructive, isn't it? I guess it's the absolute Yeah, literally. (laughs) Yeah, because you are making a thing. Um, And I think it's a common thing, certainly when I think about some of the therapies that you now use for trauma, like EMDR. um, Yes. That it's the theory behind why it works is that we're kind of taxing the working memory while we're kind of processing difficult things that having the kind of bilateral stimulation or the movements with our hands makes the difficult stuff easier to manage because I guess knitting uses some bandwidth of your brain energy but often depending on what you're knitting not loads of it like you can you know think or watch tv or do something else at the same time have a conversation um Oh, yeah. No, that's definitely a big part of why I think it was beneficial to me um, after a car accident I was in um, almost three years ago now, like Mm -hmm. just being able to knit while I was processing through what happened and just kind of shake into my core like, oh, my gosh, I almost died. Like, whoa, like what's going on? I have this awful concussion and I can't think or do anything. But knitting Mm -hmm. was one of the things I could do. Mm -hmm. And 
like I had serious whiplash. So like I couldn't really literally do anything. Like I couldn't even put my pants on by myself. Yeah. So like just like having that experience, I think was a perfect example of how knitting really did help me process through something that was traumatic and was eventful and impactful in my life. Mm-hmm. And like you said, the bilateral stimulation mimicking EMDR, like I really do think that that made a difference for me. And my mm-hmm. husband actually uses EMDR. Um, He's a counselor. Okay. So like I hear lots about EMDR among our friend group and mm-hmm. just him and his experiences and the different trainings he does. And like, I really think that there's a connection between knitting and that bilateral stimulation that you mentioned when yeah. it comes to like just the process of knitting and working through things in our mind while we knit. Yeah. And do you think you knew that um, at the time when you had your car accident, were you like deliberately reaching for the knitting or was it more of a, you know, often I find that there are, you know, we end up in situations where there aren't that many things we can do, (laughs) but knitting actually is quite accessible. Like the people I've interviewed who've said, oh, I was too depressed to get out of bed, but I could actually knit or, you know, I was ill, like with chronic illness, but I could still knit and they turned to it for that reason and then as a byproduct they almost kind of realized how helpful it was whereas I don't know whether you intentionally knew that will help me beforehand Um, or I think it was a little combination of both but not quite as consciously as it was just like I needed something I could do yeah. And it was one of the only things left that I could do because mm-hmm. I couldn't really get up and move much at first. Like the first couple weeks after you get a concussion, they want you to rest and mm-hmm. then they want you to get up and go to physical therapy mm-hmm. and you're moving all the time. And I was just so exhausted that after physical therapy and doing my exercising and all of the things I had to do to get better, knitting was one of the things that I could still have the energy to do and Mm -hmm. I almost thirsted for it it was like I had to do it because like that was one of the things that really helped me Mm -hmm. but I think also on the other hand like you mentioned the idea of knowing that it was good for me I think as I started doing it I kind of became more aware of it and like I already had some familiarity with EMDR as I got my master's in counseling and my bachelor's was in psych. So that was kind of the realm that my brain lived in for a long time. Yeah. Um, so I was aware of those things, but I think I was just so caught up in my own emotions and what was going on at the time that I didn't really think about it so much as just, I recognized something that was helpful to me and I went all in. Mm-hmm. And did it matter what you were, I don't know where you'd got to in your knitting journey by the time you had your car accident whether you were knitting what kind of things you were knitting um by then I had started dabbling with sweaters Mm -hmm. like a lot of people the pandemic was a time to really reinvent one's crafting hobbies Mm -hmm. so oddly enough at the time of the pandemic I was about to get married I was about to graduate from my master's program And I was a graduate assistant at the university where I was attending school. So I was about to lose that job upon graduation. So all of these things were going to change at once. And then the pandemic swooped in. It was like, actually, 
that none of that is going to go the way you planned. Right. And so it was a very abrupt end of that season for me. Like mm-hmm. we didn't actually finish classes. We did some things online and like in the virtual space, but we never got to say goodbye to professors or classmates and um, never got to say goodbye to my coworkers or anything like that. So like all of that happened very abruptly. And then I kind of similar to the car accident, but this is predating the car accident. Um, I just needed somewhere to invest all of my energy because I had just gotten married Nobody was hiring because of the pandemic Mm. and I didn't have a job and my husband worked at the hospital at the time. So he was gone like weird hours Mm -hmm. and I was job hunting and just kind of struggling with, okay, what do I do with all of this energy that I was investing in my studies? Mm -hmm. And I thought, I'm going to knit a sweater. I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. And I ended up knitting the separate ways sweater by Hohi Locatelli. Oh, yeah. Is that a striping, stripey one? Yes, I'm actually wearing not the one that I knit, but I'm wearing one of them today, which I know your listeners won't be able to see, but you can see the sweater. I can. Yeah, lovely. The one that I knit, it was my first pullover sweater that I knit from a pattern. And I didn't know what ease was. I didn't Mm -hmm. know what a gauge swatch was. And so I knit the size that corresponded most closely to what my actual bust was. And Mm -hmm. if you're familiar with the sweater, it's a boxy sweater. So it's supposed to be flowy. Yeah. Um, My sweater was not flowy. It was very, very, very tight. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) The sleeves were so small that I could hardly fit my arms through it. I was like, what happened? (laughs) I don't know. I used the right needle size. I used fingering weight yarn what happened? (laughs) And that kind of began my process of diving into YouTube and reading books and like really learning about knitting. Like, I don't want to say like the right way, because there's no right way to knit if you're actually enjoying it. Because that's the important part is that you're making something beautiful that like nourishes you. And Mm -hmm. but like learning how to knit a gauge swatch and learning how to pick the right needle size and what positive and negative ease is. um, That was a game changer for me in my knitting game. Mm -hmm. And by the time I got in the car accident two years later, or no, that was just a year later. Goodness, time flies. Um, But by the time I got in the car accident and was going through that experience, I had knit this sweater which I didn't knit a gauge swatch for this either but I at least knew what ease was so it fit (laughs) but I was in a place where I knew enough about how to follow a pattern that I could deep dive into trying some new things like test knitting and learning about how to design and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and after your accident did that change what you were able to do knitting wise when you were going through all of that okay so you were still able to kind of I could still use my hands Mm -hmm. like my wrists were really sore like the first week after the car accident because I was hit by a truck from behind me so it was like the whiplash and like my hands were on the wheel when I got hit so like at first like it kind of hurt to hold needles and stuff like that but by 
the second week of recovery, I was a lean, mean knitting machine. <laughs> and like cognitively, like in terms of what you could manage brain wise, were you still able to kind of do complicated follow a pattern or did you have to have a time where you were, I don't know, you know, exhausted and, and had to start with something more simple? Oh, that's a good question. I don't think I really got into patterns again until I had been in physical therapy for maybe about a month. Because mm -hmm. I remember when I first got my concussion, I was just so confused and the brain fog was so heavy that I would be asking my husband the same question like multiple times. Mm -hmm. And he was so patient with me. He took such good care of me. But like, he was like, you were not okay. Mm. <laughs> you were not yourself. Like, it took me a lot longer to think through things. Like, yeah. like apart from the difficulty of just looking at something, like, I couldn't read because I couldn't focus on the mm. words. But my reading comprehension was not very bright for mm -hmm. what I normally would have been able to do. So I imagine that I probably wasn't even trying to look at patterns mm -hmm. because the whole idea of reading was so difficult and then thinking through, but yeah. I watched a lot of YouTube videos or okay. I guess I listened to a lot of things mm -hmm. like knit with Hannah. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her or not, but I started listening to her during that time mm -hmm. and kind of gradually got into knitting YouTube videos and learning new skills and test knitting. And that mm -hmm. just opened up a whole other can of worms of like, oh, <laughs> like people make their own designs and then you can test them. Mm -hmm. And then you get to be a part of the process and, oh, you could make your own designs too. And mm -hmm. it just kept growing. Yeah. And are there other ways that you haven't mentioned that you feel like knitting was beneficial for your mental health either after the accident or just generally because it sounds like in a way it was quite helpful that knitting was able to um grow with you in terms of its complexity mm. when you were recovering from that concussion you could do something very simple with your hands without reading without uh following a pattern or you know learning anything new and then you could gradually get to the point where you were thinking about designing your own sweaters or test knitting presumably yeah, to a deadline I've never thought about it like that because I guess there's lots of other things that are not such a slow and gradual increase that I don't know what you know thinking of like physical things like playing tennis I guess it's hard to do that uh, a very tiny amount up to a big amount if you see yeah. what I mean because on some level it has to presumably start with being on a tennis court with a racket and a ball whereas I guess knitting was yeah, you were able to really tailor your knitting experience to what you could manage at the time. Yeah, like it definitely was something that could grow with me as mm -hmm. I kind of got my cognitive abilities back and my vision improved. And like, mm -hmm. not that like, I couldn't see or anything. It was just hard to focus on yeah. screens and like words and things on paper in front of me. But like I had to do exercises where you had all these numbers on the wall and you would have a metronome going and mm -hmm. you look back and forth at each number, like with the click of the metronome. And like, as I did stuff like that, and I got a little bit closer to my baseline, it was easier to pick up more and more 
challenging skills with my knitting. Mm -hmm. Sure. And I'm imagining that the sense of achievement you got from knitting was important if you were in a time in your life where you had kind of lost skills for a while like there were things that were presumably really hard that were like daily tasks you would have totally taken for granted before like yeah reading, I think reading something like the combination of finishing school because I was in school for like 20 years straight mm. and then went into just being an adult and <laughs> like that's very different if you've been in school your whole life like all of your energy is focused on this one goal of yeah. being really good at school and getting the good grades and getting to the next thing whether it's your high school diploma or your college diploma or grad school or whatever it is you're always working towards a goal and I always have really had a drive towards that and so when I was out of school it was almost like a crisis of like what do I do with all of this drive that I have and know where to put it mm. and Similarly, when the car accident happened, I was like, okay, like, I need to do something so I don't go crazy. And so that I can feel that sense of achievement of like, I'm not just sitting here wasting away with my brain, (laughs) like, I'm actually doing something. And so that even since recovering from my concussion and getting into the workforce again, and like just kind of getting into a normal life routine. Um, knitting is kind of fed that desire to invest all of my like mental energy into something that normally would have been invested in school. So it sounds like it's still important in that way, like that you're a yes. person who needs a project or a goal I am. <laughs> to focus on. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of a family trait. Like my mother is a huge crafter too. Like she quilts. Mm -hmm. Um, she, she literally can like do anything with her hands. She crochets, she makes art out of paper. Um, she's made paper beads before. Like if you can name a craft, she's probably tried it. And her mother before her was a seamstress. She went to tailoring school in Germany and like ran her own tailoring business when my mom was a kid and then of course my great aunt taught me how to knit and I don't know that I would consider her a crafty person but she definitely knew her way around knitting Mm -hmm. and my cousin's very crafty like she runs her own sewing business and so like that whole side of the family like all of us just have this drive to create and do you have people like in your family talked about it being helpful for their well-being or mental health or do you think it was just more about like this creative crafting drive um there hasn't really been conversation about like the benefits of our Mm -hmm. craftiness for our mental well-being or like health in general I think it's more just been something that we've all inherited from one another that like the women in our family are crafty people and Mm -hmm. Like even the men in my family are very creative, like other side of my family, but my grandfather was a singer and like sang professionally and was very talented. And his mother before him was a concert pianist. Like she Mm -hmm. played in Carnegie Hall back in the day. And that side of the family is very musical. Like my parents aren't musical, Mm -hmm. but like my brother just picked up guitar and 
like taught himself a lot of it. And I think there's just creativity in different ways on both sides of my family. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of brought me up into being a crafty person and like having that drive to create something and channel my ambitious energy into something productive. Mm. So it sounds like it has evolved a bit that at the beginning it was about having something to do with your hands and that now it's more about the project or the kind of outcome a bit more. Yeah, I think I'm a pretty even balance between the process and the product because I still very much need knitting for something to do with my hands and a way to just kind of mentally unplug from the world. And like, if I need to process through something, I'm going to grab my knitting or Mm -hmm. I'm going to sit down with my Bible and just like cry out to the Lord. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. Oh, I really need to just sit with this right now. But like, if I see a pattern that I really like, I'm like, oh, I really need to make this sweater. And then it can become more about the product. And then I don't enjoy the process as much. So I kind of lean both ways. Yeah. So you get the benefit of both things. Yeah. Yeah. Is it ever unhelpful, knitting? Has it ever been unhelpful? Um, I don't know that it's been unhelpful so much as I have gotten to points where I let it become frustrating. Mm-hmm. And then I guess in that sense, it's not helpful because I'm frustrated and I'm not enjoying it. Like if I'm trying to design something and I can't figure out, well, how do I get this onto paper and out Mm -hmm. of my head? Or how do I figure out how to, what this pattern means? Like when the designer writes this direction, like, does she mean do it this way? Does he mean do it that way? Like, when I get to those points where I feel kind of stuck, I think then knitting can kind of be unhelpful, but not because of the knitting, more so just my mental process of, oh, I'm doing something wrong. I don't have the mental capacity or the skill to figure this out, or I'm not good enough or like whatever it is. And then I'm just kind of feeding myself all of these falsehoods of like, no, like you can, you can figure this out. You can do this you're just not able to do it right now. And that's okay. So it sounds like you it's helped you get that self compassion to get you through that bump in the road if there's the frustration show up. Yeah, I think it's definitely something I'm still working on. Because sure, like even last night, I was talking with my husband about like a knitting course that I'm doing through the Knitting Guild Association that's focused on knitwear design Mm -hmm. and how like parts of it just seem really hard to me. And like with school, I was always like, oh, like as long as it's not math, like I can do anything. (laughs) And like even math, like like very simple math, like algebra, I could muster through. But like when it comes to something more abstract, I was just kind of lost. And so like having those conversations with him kind of helps to process through that. But I think I'm still working on giving myself that compassion when it comes to my frustrations and say, no, like, you're not a failure. You're not inept. Like, you just don't have the skill to do this yet. 
and you're going to get there and you can get there if you want to get there. Sure. And um, one of the things I always ask about is mistakes, because I guess they happen to all of us. My assumption is they certainly happen to me uh, regularly in knitting. And I'm really interested in how different people respond to mistakes in knitting. I guess it depends on what it is. Like if I'm knitting something that's plain stockinette stitch and I realize that my stitch count is off, I will just add a stitch on a pearl row and like sneak it in there where nobody can tell Mm -hmm. because no one will know except me and I keep going. So like there are little ways that I will come up with where it's like, how can I fix my mistake without having to frog my work? And then I almost just feel this sense of accomplishment because I fixed my mistake without actually properly fixing it per se and then I just get a sense of achievement (laughs) but then there are other things that I think I've grown as a knitter where I'm not as inclined to kind of take the easy way out like that Mm -hmm. because I know that if there's a mistake that is going to affect the way that the sweater fits or the way that it looks or like there's a mistake in one of the cables that's backwards. Like somebody else might not be bothered by it, but I will. And then I'm not going to wear it. And why would I spend all this time knitting something with this yarn that was an investment in both like my budget and my time not to wear it? So I think I've become more comfortable with saying, okay, like it's okay to frog your work sometimes. Like I have almost an entire sweater in a bag right now that I need to frog because my row gauge is off and I'm very upset about it but I'm committed to frogging it because I know that I can't fix it in a way that I will still wear it yeah in that situation I would always rip it out and yeah when it's a fit situation because I would hate to think of yeah you know yarn is expensive yeah um and would hate to think of not wearing something because every time I took it out of the wardrobe, I thought mm, it doesn't quite like fit me. You know, it's too short. That's my classic. <laughs> Cast it off too soon. Me too. <laughs> or yeah, or something I've knitted for my husband, and I think actually no, he wanted the neck higher. <laughs> Where's the neck? <laughs> no, it's funny when I knit things for my husband. Like most of the things I knit for him were pre-knitting education of like how to gauge swatch and measure ease and stuff like that so they don't fit him very well or it uses like really cheap acrylic yarn because I was in grad school and I was broke Mm -hmm. and I look at those sweaters and he still wears them and he loves them and I'm just like no it's so ugly I can't look at it but (laughs) like all I see are the mistakes and what he sees is something that his wife or then fiance made for him and like he still wears this gray sweater the cardigan that I made for him years ago and I hate that cardigan because it does (laughs) not fit him well and I had to add some bands and stuff around the buttons and the neck to make it a little bit more coverage I guess for when it's cold but it's just not a good sweater (laughs) it's from a different era yeah 
but he loves it. He does. And that's the important part. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And much rather that than it was sitting in a wardrobe somewhere. Neglected. (laughs) Um, Elizabeth, I'd love to hear about a significant knitting project for you. Have you got something in mind? Well, I kind of already brought this up, but the Separate Ways sweater by Hilo Catelli, because I think knitting that was something that was a gateway into me really expanding my knitting repertoire and the skill set that I have, but also just kind of like a deep dive into believing that I'm capable of knitting something that I didn't think I could do. I was afraid of sweaters for so long. And I knit that sweater between grad school being over and the pandemic and all of that stuff happening, like just a really difficult season of my life when I knit that sweater. And I wish I still had the original one because it would be so amazing to be able to just take it out and look at it and see how far I've come. Mm. But like, that's really significant to me because I think of that sweater as kind of like being the gateway sweater into where I am now. And um, Hohi Locatelli is someone who just really inspires me. Um, Like one, like she's an incredible designer, but she also is very open about her own journey with her mental health Mm. and has been a real inspiration for me in that regard. And so like being introduced to her through that sweater has been very significant to me. Hmm, That's amazing. And it's not the most, I'm assuming, I have got close to knitting one myself a few times, (laughs) but it's not probably the most simple construction in terms of a basic sweater. Like it's, she does very interesting constructions of her sweaters, doesn't she? I would say now, like at the level I'm at, I wouldn't, really have to think too much about the construction type because really what you're doing is you're knitting most of it flat on a circular needle and then in the armpit you pick up stitches along the edges to do that side piece where the stripes are going vertically Mm -hmm. and so if you have your basic knitting tools in your toolbox and you've done a handful of sweaters before it's not too crazy to jump in and try this sweater and yeah like figuring it out like granted I did not approach the gauge and stuff like that the way I should have the first time I knit it but the fact that I could figure it out as my first sweater I think one is just a testament to her brilliance in pattern writing but also just like proof that it's not too hard to figure (laughs) out like if I could figure it out when I know nothing anybody can figure it out (laughs) Yeah. And I can completely see that. Um, I loved your point about, you know, the point of knitting is not the like doing it right or wrong. It's about, I think you said something beautiful that nourishes your, nourishes you in terms of knitting. Yeah. I think I love the way you said that. But I guess also part of what feels satisfying is making something at the end of it that you can wear or, you know, make use of, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Are you now in a position where you're kind of, you've got like sweaters that you wear regularly like you're regularly wearing things you've made yourself um I have enough sweaters that I certainly could but I tend to wear the same like two or three sweaters 
most often. Like I have a wool and honey sweater that's by Andrea Mowry that I knit up last year that I tend to wear a lot. And I think that's because for one thing, it's just like a really simple, like classic look that I can wear to work or I can wear casually. But also I did it in a, the burnt orange color like she did on the pattern, which I almost never do the same color as the designer, yeah. but I went for the burnt orange and that just matches everything in my wardrobe. So I wear that sweater a lot. And then I have a couple things that I've designed that I wear because I feel like if I made them myself out of my own mind. I need to give them their time to shine and like actually mm -hmm. wear them, even if I think there are things wrong with them that I don't like. But yeah, it, it really does tend to be that I wear the same like two or three sweaters. Um, there's also a sweater called the Aventure sweater by Herb Garden Knitwear that I wear a lot. It has a really pretty color work motif around the neck. And that one, I just find that I wear a lot just because I think it's pretty. Sure. I'm interested in how people feel when they're wearing clothes they made themselves. Because I guess that was oh, something yeah. that took me by surprise that because I was a knitter for quite a long time before I made garments. Um, I was a bit scared of like having to knit something that fitted. Right. Yeah. I was knitting shawls or scarves and hats um, before that. And it really surprised me that I felt different when I wore something <laughs> yeah like I don't I know whether you experienced that or not really kind of reminds me my grandmother always used to ask me if I felt any different on my birthday each year like, no, <laughs> yeah. I still feel the same but with sweaters <laughs> that I knit like I think there is kind of an element of like a feeling of satisfaction that like yes I'm wearing something that I made and I put a lot of work into this and I'm proud of what I've accomplished but I think there's also a sense of, like, I feel peace about knowing who made what I'm wearing mm -hmm. and that, like, of course, like, I made it, but, like, no one had to suffer for this sweater mm. that I'm wearing, like, some of the other clothes that might be in my wardrobe from, like, who knows where they came from, but, like, I have been kind of inspired really by my cousin and by the field that I'm in to just really think about fast fashion versus the slow fashion movement and the idea that our clothes are actually made by people. It's not just like you feed the fabric into a machine and it pops out a shirt, like, mm -hmm. which I think was really a naive thought of mine <laughs> before I became a little more educated on the subject. But I think part of the satisfaction of wearing a hand-knit sweater for me is knowing that like, if it's handmade and it's not from a big box store or something like that, then I know that nobody had to live in poor conditions or work in a poor work environment or mm -hmm. work for less than a dignified wage to make this sweater for me. Mm. So that's also something that's important to you through, yeah. yeah, that you can show that choice through your, uh, the things you wear. Definitely. Yeah. I would love to ask about something you do outside of knitting that benefits your mental well-being. Is there something unrelated to craft that you think, yeah, that makes a big difference? 
Um, definitely. I would say my faith is very important to me. And mm -hmm. so like just spending daily time, like just reading my Bible and spending time in prayer or even just spending time like volunteering through my church. Like we're part of what we call the nursing home ministry at our church, where we go to different senior homes in the community and just bring church to them because they can't get out to their own church. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm able to really connect with the Lord in that way and um, connect with the community of like other people who share my same love for Jesus or like maybe they don't know Jesus and they're just curious about him but like having that space in my life to really invest everything I do into my relationship with God has been really important in my mental health because mm -hmm. I really feel that like he's been the key player in making sure that I'm okay for all these years and he's really been there for me and provided for me in my mental health journey. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like community is an important part of that. And I was thinking about that when yes. you were talking about recovering from your accident, about whether that was an important part. It sounds like you were kind of listening to podcasts about knitting and um, watching YouTube and whether the kind of connecting to a community was something that knitting gave you at that point in your life yeah that's actually when I discovered knitstagram as they call it <laughs> yeah. like the whole knitting community <laughs> on instagram um I had no idea that there were other young 20 some year old girls out there who knit I thought mm -hmm. I was just a little grandma wannabe like in my own little world and there was no one else out there like me I was like oh actually there are a lot of us and yeah. we're actually pretty cool so I think like that was definitely something that I discovered like through that time period of my life but I also think that community is just really important because like people are meant to be with people mm. and whether it's through our craft or sports or like through a religious affiliation or whatever community you're a part of I think that it's really important to have those communities and invest in them because like we're not supposed to be alone as people we're social beings and like when we're together and we carry one another's burdens together and we pour into one another and we care for one another that's when we bloom and grow and it's so interesting this you're not the first person to say talk about kind of feeling like they were the only 20 something grandma I think you said that was a brilliant <laughs> yeah. um, somebody else has talked about oh, I'm the only you know strange person who brings anything to a bar or that they're you know were the only person at you know university or college knitting and I think lots of us have had that experience of being like you know the only one but then the I guess one of the benefits of social media that gets a lot of bad uh, reputation is that yeah we know, we know each other exist now <laughs> yeah we know that we're out there we just need to find each other in the real world <laughs> yeah and I guess listening to a podcast or watching something on YouTube does make you feel like you're with some you know a friend doesn't it sometimes yeah like you kind of can <laughs> have that connection because 
like obviously like if you're listening to a podcast you're not part of the conversation but if it's posted somewhere where like on YouTube if you're watching a video podcast you can comment on it and people respond and interact with each other so like that's a way that people connect with other knitters and like in the last year or so even just being involved in the local yarn shop industry like in my area has been a huge source of community like if mm -hmm. I have a Friday off and I'm not traveling I know that I'm going to knitting group at the local yarn store down the street from me and I'm going to be the only 29 year old woman there but I'm going to be happy to be there because I'm going to be with other knitters and I can really relate with them and learn from them yeah and it's nice to go somewhere isn't it whether it's physically in person or whether it's on Instagram where people will you know have the same reaction as you do to oh look I just finished this sweater or what do you think of these yarns colors together or you know yeah, it's like finding somebody who speaks your language yeah. <laughs> when you're somewhere where it's like man like nobody knows what I'm talking about and then you see another knitter and they're talking about like seams and like row gauge and I don't know like yarn weight mm -hmm. like wow like another person who knows what this means and actually cares I'm not mm -hmm. just talking your ear off you're interested yeah and I it always continually surprises me you know when people I've met through the podcast who might be you know in another continent <laughs> who have you know knit the same pattern that I have or you know like when you talked about your separate way sweater I think yeah I've got that like on my bookshelf over there <laughs> in a magazine and or no it's in the interpretations isn't it I think yes yeah interpretations five I think it might be yeah four. but I it's on that shelf over there even though you know we're on different continents <laughs> yeah we can both say we have the same book and yeah. we've looked at the same patterns and we both know who Hohi Locatelli is <laughs> and that's exciting to me yeah so um Elizabeth I always ask with end with asking um what's the greatest gift knitting has given you for the rest of your life I think a combination of things yeah but it definitely goes back to that community aspect I think primarily like it's been a way to connect with the crafty people in my family like even mm. though I'm the only knitter in my family like I'm not the only person who creates. And so like, it's a special way that I can connect with my mom and my cousin and like the people in my life who enjoy painting or like whatever it is, like it's my medium that I bring to the table when I'm with other crafty people. Mm -hmm. So it brings that sense of community, but I think also it's just giving me something beautiful to make out of some of the darkest places in my life, mm. like where I have felt like at my lowest or I've really struggled with my mental health. I've been able to sit and process through things. And instead of just sitting there with a box of tissues and feeling like I have nothing that I can walk away with, except like maybe some better self-awareness. I have self-awareness and a cool sweater. <laughs> yeah. And so like I I can make something beautiful out of something that has been 
a real challenge in my life. And then like, I can look back at all the sweaters that I have on my shelf and I can say, oh, like I knit that when I was going through this or this test knit, I met this person. Mm -hmm. And like, I just have all of those memories in my Mm. projects and even just my collection of swatches I can look at and say like, oh, this swatch is from this experience. And I can really reflect on how I've grown as a person through looking at my knitting and just seeing like where it's brought me. It's amazing to have that kind of accompaniment on your journey, isn't it? That you have these memories stored in a physical form that you can interact yeah. with like on a daily basis by putting on a sweat a different sweater or yeah, just looking at them. It's kind of like journaling, but Mm. three-dimensional yeah and I guess probably because we spend so many hours doing it because I guess there are lots of things that I don't know things you might have read or something like that but I guess it's rare for me to do anything for as long as it takes me to make a sweater (laughs) that's true I can't think of anything I've done that takes that long (laughs) yeah (laughs) well Elizabeth that's amazing um I loved that the idea of something beautiful coming out of the darkest places in your life that's an amazing I love the way you said that well thank you (laughs) if there are people who would like to follow your work on Instagram or I don't know if you have a website is that where could they follow and find out about your designs or what you're up to yeah they can definitely follow me on Instagram I'm at the underscore nitchen Mm -hmm. um that's like kitchen but nitchen okay yeah pun Mm -hmm. um and then on Ravelry, I think I'm just Ebeth Hammond or okay. Elizabeth Hammond. I should probably check that. But yeah, I have a link in my Instagram. Like if you go to the profile on Instagram and click the link, it'll show you my Ravelry page and like my designs, all the things that I've knit from other people's designs, like all those fun things. Brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. If you want to find out more about my work, you can visit my website, therapeuticknitting.org, or you can follow me on Instagram at knittingistherapeutic. Thanks. Thanks.